as I mentioned, the future was coming up, but I was now known as wrong because the future is actually now here. Good afternoon, Mr. and Mrs. Future. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Ladies and gentlemen, KSEO presents the Dr. Future Show. If you would like to join in our show today, you can call us at 831-479-1080. That's 831-479-1080. And now, your host, Dr. Future. Hey, Billy, thanks for that. Uh... Why do we never... A warm welcome. Yeah, warm welcome. We always appreciate your presence. Uh, it was fun having you on the show last week. Yeah, and yeah. presto changeo. Hi, Richard B. Luther. <laughs> <laughs> He's the silent one. That's right. He's going to be uh, answering our phone calls today. But not so silent is Mrs. Future. I'm here. And Bobby, Bobby Wilder yeah. in San yeah, Francisco. I, hey, Bobby. Hey, so, um, yeah, I was a little worried. I, I thought, wow. I might have to do the show for you if you didn't show up. <laughs> yeah, you were afraid we weren't here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't know. Ah, surprise, surprise! But no, we're here. Uh, we were just uh, tweaking buttons behind the scenes. So. Oh. Okay. That, I I saw the little lights indicating you were here. Sorry, I didn't uh, take a moment and say hi, so you'd know. But we have lights. <laughs> we know when you're here. That's right. Oh, you leave you a light footprint on our board. Yes, literally. <laughs> is it red? I, I, I did, is it? Yeah. yeah, I didn't know you could detect me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have, I have sound bars for your mic. <laughs> oh, good. So is it as sunny there as it is here in Santa Cruz? Yes, it's sunny. It's, it's San pretty Francisco? clear. Wow. A few clouds, but no, it's great. The last couple of days have been fabulous. Oh, ah, yeah. good. Well, we're getting our great fall weather in the Bay Area now. That's fantastic. Yeah. Love yeah. it. So how about that dart mission yesterday, huh? Did you see that? Wow, it was a spot-on hit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wasn't that yeah. amazing to yeah. watch it just head right for the center of that asteroid? Yeah, that was the dart mission where it slammed into Dimorphos. That's a moonlit around a larger asteroid, Didymus. Sorry, Dimorphos. I hope you don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's all for the good of science, for the good of all. The idea being to deflect it a little bit to see if maybe in the future, if we see a nasty asteroid hitting our direction, we can take it off course and save our civilization. Yeah, this is a whole generation of space scientists who grew up on Maelstrom. <laughs> you know that video game where you're constantly shooting at asteroids or even just on asteroids? <laughs> um, I think the technology is just phenomenal. I mean, we were able to watch a camera as it zeroes in on this asteroid around an asteroid Seven million miles away, and just see it getting closer and closer and closer and closer until boink. That's right. Yeah. Italy is in the news. That was Italian movie making at its finest. Well, but no, <laughs> the Italians, we haven't seen their movie yet. They're the ship on the outside watching the impact. We right. saw the camera on board uh-huh. our yeah. spaceship, which crashed into it. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like those kamikaze drones, you know? <laughs> it's just, you could see it hitting the tanks or whatever in Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, we need some sound effects. With yeah, those. yeah, we watched the last frame once the camera got smashed. We saw the very last end frame. What I'm looking forward to are the telescopes here on Earth that captured that spectacular deep space death. <laughs> and observations uh, were made by the Hawaii-based asteroid terrestrial impact 
last alert system, or ATLAS, uh, which show the Didymus brightening considerably at the moment of impact. Oh, maybe we incinerated it. And just afterward, a massive shell of ejected material blasts away from that battered dimorphous oh, asteroid. We smashed it into smithereens. See, that's one of the things. Is What is this asteroid? Is it solid rock or is it a rubble pile? Yeah. Or something in between. Right. But it sounds to me like it really, uh, a lot of pieces there. That we oh, loosely dear. held together, so. Maybe it was an aspiring life form and we just snuffed it out. I sincerely doubt that, Mrs. Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> From all we know, there's not much there. What we did see is that a number of astronomical observatories around the world. Hey, Billy, sunshine. Hey, we got a blues today. brother walking into the <laughs> studio here. <laughs> blues brother, here he is. <laughs> How are you, kid? Pretty good. Oh, we're good. We're good. We're... Nice to see you. Yeah. Mm. There yeah. you go. Have a mic. I'll yeah. just visit for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, welcome. Aww. Did you see the DART mission? I did. How cool is that? Wasn't that amazing? Mm. When do we get to hear the results? Well, well, we just told you uh, what we know, but lots more coming in. Well, as I, I was mentioning, there's some ground-based observers that did see some stuff. There was observations in Hawaii, you know, at the Atlas Telescope there that saw the moment of impact, and there was a massive shell of ejected material that they saw come out. And but what percentage of its Project, you know, where it's going, did we change? How much do we need? 1%? We're not going to know that right away. We right. have to watch. Exactly. We have to see what happens. Bobby? I'm impatient. Yeah, they designed it so that it hit it head on and it would slow down the orbit of this satellite around the other asteroid, the larger asteroid. And so they'll be, be able to detect the circumnavigation timing. Is it going to slow down? If it slows down at all, then it means it was a factor. Yeah, I think it was like 12 hours around around the asteroid, something like that. Yes, yeah, so, so, so yeah. if it gets down to 11 and a half or 11 and so many seconds less, <laughs> yes, it would show that th there was an effect. So it's orbiting, right? Yeah. yeah so yes. Maybe it'll decay its orbit enough that it crashes into the thing. It's, uh, into That's the, certainly parent. a possibility. I mean, if we yeah. slowed it down, the orbit will decay. Yeah. 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 But again, it depends on what the material is. It, it might not have been a solid asteroid. It might have been a rubble pile. In which case, we'll find out. Yeah. It didn't look like a rubble pile, but you can't tell, yeah, it really. it kind of did, actually. I mean, it looked like a lot did. of little pieces. You can see a lot of pieces, it, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it looked tell like from a mud ball. It did look yeah, like it, a mud ball. There was a lot was of a, little particles on the surface. Yeah, it was a dirty snowball, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Were they able to hear it as well, the impact? And is that Not something that you I'm can a, study? I haven't heard. No, it was, you know, there's no Not atmosphere there, so there wouldn't be any sound. Now, there might be some seismic sound, maybe, if they had a seismometer of some sort on board. But, but it's in space, no one can hear you scream. Remember yeah, that? and really, space audio <laughs> is... We, we don't have much space audio so far. As far as I'm aware, the only space audio we have so far is from Mars. And they're still just doing silent pictures. Most things observing space are visual. I, I'm still upset by hearing that there's only 1% atmosphere and realizing that Everything's going to be hitting the surface. Where are we going to live? Lava tubes. You know, you're going to... Don't worry. Don't worry? Yeah. Be happy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of intelligence as we move forward. Speak for space. yourself, young lady. Well, I'm talking about our entire <laughs> collective oh, oh, culture. Of us. Well, you know, oh. and, and there, there might be some mysteries there. You know, like, like you, you have, have you heard about those stories about Admiral Byrd down in Antarctica in the 1950s? What? He had written in his diary that he had run into a, sort of an entry into the inner earth. 
where things were warm and there was... And then what, he disappeared? Well, that he was told by the government not to talk about his diary until his death. And, and it was released later. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing. Modern I, I love mysteries. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. The Dr. Misfeed Show, Bobby Wilder and Billy Sunshine in the studio. Okay, welcome back to the show. Before we move on to our next story, we did get a comment from Gabby out in our audience who was uh, wondering about how they, well, they used an old satellite and repurposed it for this, for this uh, impact, which is pretty cool. And uh, what if they messed up the next time around it hit us? Oh, well, <laughs> I guess there's always that danger. But it's 7 million miles out. You know, it's a long way away from Earth. Well, and we're like sending a projectile from Earth and it's going out, you know? I mean, I guess it would have to deorbit a lot to hit us. Yeah, it would. Yeah, there's that cascade effect. Is it coming at us? Oh, sorry. Here. Is it, com is it coming at us, or is it actually going away from us and not yet to make another revolution around the sun, so therefore we have a long time? I think it's so far away, and it'd be in so many small particles that it almost doesn't matter whether it's heading towards us or not at this point that, that neither one of those asteroids are truly significant yeah what this mission was all us. about was figuring out how concepts, to hit yeah. an asteroid that far away yeah yeah and it was uh, yeah, there were it looks like asteroids. a success as far as we can tell yeah. then we might find out something about redirecting them but that's you know a bonus yeah if there's anything to uh, pool ball breaks there's something to this don't look up don't look up oh i saw that movie <laughs> that was a little scary we got a caller mrs future had a few all right. You ready? Yeah, go for it. All right. We got Steve in Santa Cruz. Hi, Steve. Steve. I believe everything's alive. Everything is made of consciousness. And I think the asteroid felt violated. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll apologize uh, well, for the earthquakes. You know, <laughs> what are we going to do about that? I think you might be projecting because who knows? That asteroid didn't know that this was its fate the moment it congealed. I mean, well, maybe it was free will. I, I love the um, I love the uh, video of I followed it I couldn't stop watching it I don't know at least five times <clears throat> and closer and closer and as I watch it it gets with it I see this honey you're, you're dropping out what's yeah, going yeah. on it, yeah get in a clearer sounds moment. like you're saying something great but we can't okay. hear it you, you like to watch it over and over again the, the crash right and as it came, hey, went into the I'm gonna I'm going to run over to the, another section of the chateau. Hang on. That's better. That's better. <laughs> yeah. You got better already yeah. <laughs> just yeah. by okay. focusing your attention. That's okay. the placebo so I, effect. I, I'm watching it as it gets closer and closer. Yeah. And we're, we're within a few hundred feet, and it's almost ready to hit the asteroid. And I see a Trump sign that says 2024. <laughs> <laughs> see, you still believe everything is conscious? <laughs> hey, I, I got a credit. I thought you'd like that. Well, I got maybe it was that Italian satellite nearby that, uh, that just selected the right wing, folks. Uh, Mrs. That's Future's right. right. You're projecting. <laughs> yeah. You're projecting on our projectile. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I did see a little apartment complex, but, hey, you know, I was wondering, I couldn't find a video of a distant, like a side view of, of, the, the, of um, the impact. Yeah, that's right. I was wondering about that, too, because there was supposed to be an Italian satellite that would be recording that. 
You know, I was the one that put the Trumps. Uh, well, maybe yeah. our channels didn't have access to it. Maybe we have to. They didn't seem to. Yeah, we got to go to Italy the, or something. The new fascist government doesn't want to play with us. Yeah, yeah, they're so, keeping data. So, oh, they, they, yeah, they had to dedicate their internet to their elections. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Future, when I when I'm seeing those those versions of satellite hitting the meteor, is that is that just like is that animated or like is that just computer generated There's yeah it's all mix. cgi yeah, it's cgi until what you actually saw yesterday yeah there was a camera feed yeah. but a lot of the other stuff was models yeah um computer okay. graphics yeah. Uh, animation so there there's actually no photos right now of like a side view of the thing hitting well there is from some observatories there's the hawaiian observatories i was mentioning earlier and uh, though i haven't seen the actual photos of it i've just read that they they saw the impact and they saw a big plume of material go up when it, when it hit. From 7 million miles away. Yeah, 7 million miles away. Wow. wow. So there is some um, other shots. There's also some shots from a South African um, observatory that I haven't seen yet either, but apparently they claim to have seen it as well. They're all going to be looking at it. They're going to be looking at the orbit to see how much it's been changed by this impact. And that's the next thing. Just yeah. a hypothetical. If yeah. they really wanted to change the orbit, yeah. If they really needed to move it over a few degrees, yeah. could they use a nuclear device, and would that change it? Well, there's a lot of debate about that. Or blow it Probably. apart. Yeah, they say <laughs> you, you blow it apart, you could create a million particles, and that could cause more problems than it's worth. It's like, it's like blowing up a, a satellite, and you have all these pieces that could hit other satellites and create a cascading effect, and you really don't want that. The other idea with the nuke was to blow one up nearby, like like 50 miles away, and the shock wave would knock the asteroid out of orbit. orbit. But that's hard would to that actually... Work? Well, it's hard to actually predict the new direction of the asteroid. You know, it's a little harder as opposed to a direct hit. No EMP in that situation? Well, I'm sure there would be. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it could be a problem. Yeah, that sounds pretty iffy, especially with no atmosphere. Yeah, no atmosphere. And, you know, it's, it's a little harder when you're not directly pushing it. If you're directly pushing it, it's more like a cue stick on, on, a, on a cue ball. You know, you have more of a sense of direction of <laughs> where you're going to go. Well, and you, we're in the 3D world here. You know, yeah, we can 3D, see it. Yeah, we can true. visually Do see what happens. Well, yeah. you know, Dr. Like Future. You yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, Dr. Future. Yeah. Remember when we were kids and there was that TV show and the guy put the metal helmet on in the backpack with the rockets and he flew? Oh, yeah. Rocket Man. Yeah, Rocket yeah. Man. Yeah. That was great. So if we could send him up there and just have him push on it. Yeah, <laughs> him and Superman. I think you <laughs> should right submit direction. a proposal to NASA, Steve. Yeah. Watch the NASA Good channel. I love that. Keep yeah. an eye on the NASA channel. They'll let us know <laughs> yeah. what's going on. Yeah, yeah that's I love Rocket Man. I love Rocket Man. Uh, Bobby, what do, you, what do you want to say? Yeah, it, it's like playing pool. You know, it, it depends on what part of the ball you're going to hit. How you much know? English? English, English yeah. It, right. Yeah, well, they were able to prove that they could hit it exactly where they wanted to, right on the point of wow. where they wanted That was so impressive. That's the yeah. most impressive thing about what we all saw yesterday is the bullseye hit. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. getting good at rocketry. We're, we're landing rockets you know, yeah, on their, exactly on where their ends, and we're hitting things seven miles, a million miles exactly where we want to hit them. Yeah. We're good at this. Well, there's a reason they called this the DART mission. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, Futures, how far away was that thing? Like, Can you equate it to maybe like one of the planets for me? It's seven million miles away. The moon is a quarter of a million miles. So, I, I think it's 700 million. No, no, seven million. It's a lot closer. How far is Mars? Okay. 
Yeah, 93 million is how far the sun, sun is away right. from us. Yeah, so, so this wow. is 7 million. Yeah, okay, 7 million, yeah. yeah. Oh, so this is a lot closer than the planet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a close. To, it's considered a near-Earth object, um, even though it's further, way further out than the moon. That's still our territory, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow, it's a great, a great, great uh, adventure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks for coming. Yeah, it's Steve. Always good, good to hear from you. Yeah. Okay. Good old dart. Huh? A little bit more from Firefall. You ready? Yeah. Let's do Firefall. Firefall. You're live. <laughs> good afternoon. Okay. So I think maybe they send a rubble telescope to look at. Rubble telescope. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> rubble scope. All right. Bar- Barney Rubble. What, what you, do you mean, mean instead of a Hubble, we send a rubble? Yeah. um <laughs> bump. Okay. Thank you. There's nothing more complicated than uh, it's hard to conceive than looking at the impact formula in physics and trying to conceive of it. Part of the reason for that is because of the instantaneity is almost like um, uncalculable. Uncalculable. Instantaneity of so, what? Yeah, uh, you know, I, that's, that's a new word, mind. Instantaneity? It boggles yeah. my mind. I, I always was trying to visualize the impact formula and conversations with my physics professor was always kind of like, well, you're thinking of things that are not uh, restricted to, you know, earthbound testing. And so therefore, like, your ideas cannot be applied to academic physics. Yeah. Well, we got a lot to to learn about space, that's for sure. I want to give you a pop quiz. Okay, (laughs) so a wagon wheel, a wagon wheel, is rolling down a hill. Yeah. Is it rotating or is it revolving? I'm out. <laughs> okay. It doesn't have an axle, so therefore, since it's relying on the traction around it on the rim, that would be actually be a revolution. Revolution like now. The way, the way that the moon revolves around the Earth, but the Earth rotates on its axis. Hmm. But now what about the, the idea that the Earth is round and depends on which direction the wheel is rolling. Maybe it's, it's not round, both. though. Maybe it's revolving and rotating. Maybe it's revolving around is, its axis it's and a rota- it's, orbiting it's the Earth. Yeah, I'm still it's out. A spherical. <laughs> it's still it's out. Spherical. I it's a spherical uh, wheel. <laughs> how spherical is the Earth? Well, <laughs> well, it's probably not perfect because you have to understand that during the during the cooling of the molten Earth, as things settled to the maximum, once it was cooled and hardened, then you have alterations in the topography, which is another issue. I want to ask you about uh, if oh, the wait, James Firefall, Let me just tell you a little quote from Neil Tyson DeGrasse is that if you could hold the earth in your hand, like, it would feel like a cue ball. It would look that smooth. And if you just breathed on it, that's how thick the atmosphere is. Yeah. Yeah, right, because I don't understand the forces of um, orbits. I don't understand how something that has nothing in between it can have a force, but that's just me. But I want to ask you about the observatory. Is the James Lick Observatory going to be having any record of this asteroid impact? Um, I haven't heard anything from them. I heard Les Cumbres Laboratory was doing it. That's a South African one with a 3.3-foot or 1-meter telescope. They saw it. 
And so it's the bigger telescopes, because it's 7 million miles out. It's smaller telescopes aren't going to do it. There's going to be another probe called HERA going out there uh, in from 2024 Italy. from the European Space Agency. Uh -huh. They're going to be studying it more closely. And oh, yeah, and to Billy Sunshine. Can I get Billy Sunshine? Yeah, we got it. Five, five seconds left. Five we got to go. seconds. Make what do you want? Pick. What do you got? Yeah, I'm one Republican that really enjoys talking to you, Billy. <laughs> Thank you and for that. I think Trump does uh, stand up for you like he does everyone else. And also, I am not particularly a MAGA because I think that that deviated from the Tea Party. All right, well, there you go. You got a fan there. Message Thanks, received. Bye, All right. Bye, everybody. We'll be back yeah. after the break. Thanks. Okay, welcome back. Since we're out in space, let's look at Venus for a moment, shall we? Yes. Since we're spaced out? <laughs> yeah, since we're already spaced out. Let's <laughs> okay. keep going. <laughs> As you probably know, Venus has been in somewhat of uh, an inhospitable place. Well, it's warm. Well, yeah, 800 <laughs> degrees. Something else? <laughs> yeah. The second rock from the sun. Are they like the Parisians? Are they unkind? Uh, it's warm and toxic to us. <laughs> it's relatively close. It's 38 million miles from us. You know, It's pretty close. Uh, and we've been fascinated for a long time. Uh, we can see it easily in the sky. Where it's very popular. Centuries, humans have been looking at it, trying to understand it. But it's fallen out of favor over the last uh, decade or so because our probes indicate of its inhospitality. We cannot live in 800 degree weather, you know. And oh, I hate that. Yeah, it's but, but is it humid? How's so, the, is so it so dry? Heat? Yeah. It's no. dry heat. Yes. No, uh, balmy no. uh, sulfuric acid windstorms. Oh, I hate that egg smell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, it really smells bad. It on tends Venus. to destroy our ships rather fast. When the, yeah. when they so land why would or, we go? Can we just leave? You know. Well, because it's got an amazing atmosphere of many layers to it. It's a, a multi-layered atmosphere. And we've detected a chemical called phosphine, which many believe that there's something alive there. Because <laughs> phosphine is a byproduct of microbes. In the atmosphere. In the atmosphere. Yeah, At least might this be a, article Like flies and things. That uh, it's a, uh, well, smaller. That mm. microbes exhale it somehow. Yeah, Ooh. microbes are like bacteria. But the thing is that when I looked up phosphine... Yeah, you, you, sound, know, you found some non-biological uh, well, creations you know, for it, yeah. Here's the thing. Phosphine, upon contact with water at high pressure and temperature, produces phosphoric acid and hydrogen. So it's still pretty toxic. Mm. <laughs> and apparently it it's, right it's highly flammable, <laughs> like yeah. because it has a lot of hydrogen in it. It's very, very flammable. It smells terrible. But it does have some applications in the semiconductor industry because it's used as a dopant and it's a precursor for the deposition of compound semiconductors. Yes, well, so it's also you know, it's also we can make more batteries and computers if we a, get some. It's possible, and it's possible it could be microbe poop that ever be taken. I know that's why you thought yeah, this. That's why was it's interesting. You, you mentioned it's uh, Neil alive. deGrasse Tyson a minute ago, yeah, and he was on some TV show, and he just said he just reminded us. Reminded all of us and me at that moment of what we all know to be true, but don't remember, and that is that 
from the Big Bang, from whatever. You know, we're all the same star stuff. Yeah. And we go from that to this, to humans who can contemplate that. It's pretty amazing. Wow. It brought a tear to my eye at the time. Yeah. I was in yeah. some weird state that it yeah. literally brought a tear to my eye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The universe is amazing. Yeah. It probably the took... The variety. The, oh. Yeah, it probably and took millions... what a sense of humor. Billions of years to, <laughs> to, for this to happen. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But who's counting? I don't need a god. The universe itself is amazing, and, and I don't need someone that, that made it happen or started it or has anything to do with it. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. I can't do it. My brain can't handle it. In, in a sense, infinity is God. Yeah. Yeah. If you can think of it, it's still God. <laughs> it's all of us and everything else. So not just NASA, but private companies are starting to look at Venus Rocket Lab, and they've been working to develop a Venus probe for a couple of years now, and they want to look for life on Venus. And NASA is planning a new one as well, 2024 time period, where it will revolve around seismic and atmospheric measurements and looking at Venus. What about the Prime Directive? Uh, well, uh, what level do you want to apply it to? No, what I mean is that, well, yeah, there's all this great phosphine and we could mine it, but what if there's, like you said, there's like living there are, things there? There are things that what do we do? it. Yeah. Communicate with them? Develop, uh, you but know, that tends not to be how we handle aboriginals uh, who aren't at our level of technology. Just saying. Oh, speak for yourself. I, I am. Mean, <laughs> I mean, that's what, what I was speaking for. What would you do? I mean, uh, yeah, there's what the government would do. There was what military would do. And there's what you would do. Right. There's science. There's yeah. And then there's capitalism. And then there's yeah. well, the thing yeah. is, you can't conflate what the actions of one person would be with the actions of many because there are many possibilities. The more decision But what's our moral responsibility is what I'm asking. As an earthling, I'm, I'm asking. And morality is an individual set point. Well, can it, can a culture it, of many individuals who are trying to live in harmony with each other. So I think it really depends on how many rights we give to the life forms that we're affecting. There's a, a hierarchy like the life forms that can eat us, we tend to give them more rights than the life forms that can't do anything about it. Yeah, what we can see, we give more honor to than what we can't, for example. Well, and the more that we are in awe of life and devoted to caring for it. And that's what I'm asking. The more considerate we are. Is there a prime directive? Are we well, not going to mine where there are organisms or are we going to say well you know it's more important the money's more important the next semiconductor is more important than whether that organism is allowed to develop in its way well it's kind of the industrialization model versus uh, the naturalist you know and how to connect with nature how to protect nature on this planet exactly you know and we definitely have to protect the life forms of this solar system that's our bigger ecosystem but the thing you is you can't break the laws of yeah. nature you can only break the laws of humans and so that comes down to how do you want the universe to unfold? Because our intention puts energy in motion. What about if we consider ourselves not so much just spreading our species around the solar system, but spreading nature? What if we detected that there is a layer in the Venusian atmosphere that could support microbial life? Shouldn't we send microbes there and let them have at it? 
Well, we wouldn't are that, natural. Would nature like so that? So what we do might well, be considered natural. Yeah. And what what about the yeah. the commercial opportunities of an Earth Venus matchmaking system? Yeah, connecting uh, our. I could finally find a girlfriend. Yeah, and a hot one for sure. Yeah. Uh, She'd be very hot. You yeah, know? <laughs> planet <laughs> of love, right? <laughs> who knows what nature would do when it communicates and possibly interacts with uh, Venusian microbes? So the prime directive is not going to be in effect. We're just going to wander willy-nilly and see what happens. Well, there's panspermia. You know, the idea that that's already happening anyway, that stuff is constantly spreading its seed. Yeah, that's great. We're we're constantly passing into new parts of the galaxy all the time. We're rotating in new territory constantly. We're already violations of this so-called prime directive because who knows what our origins are. Never mind. I just thought I'd ask. What's pristine? You, know, you talk to Terrence McKenna, he believes the mushrooms were out there before any of us and going around seeding the galaxy. Yeah, they with, see uh, us as these newly developed life forms that are just cultivating right. intelligence, and they've got some secrets to share with because, us, but only when they know they can trust us. Yeah, because the mushroom spores are the hardest thing known in the universe, and they can travel. They can actually leave the planet. Stamets. Yeah, right, yeah. because the sun can cause them to rise. And I love Star Trek. Yeah, well, they're just... <laughs> Their reproduction mode is their spaceship. You know, yeah. they just go travel the cosmic waves and land network. on right. Plug you into it. And you know, other who's to forms. say? I mean, yeah. uh, people who don't know about it don't know about it, so they can't say it's real. But those who have experienced it, uh, plug have in a story. Yeah, plug in, folks. Plug yeah. in. So anyway, four seven nine ten eight. So Venus is in the news again, and it could even happen before a Mars mission with this because it's easier to go out and circle the planet we're, we're never going to land on oh. it at least with our oh, okay. but but there's just to orbit around it and check uh, out these right. uh, this phosphine if we're not landing yeah yeah no no plans for us to land on venus but we do consider maybe creating some floating cities that could hover above it one scientist said it's an endless wonderland of beguiling and mysterious vistas Ooh, i like that yeah. I, I wanted to land on something before I pass. You know, I loved it when we landed on the moon. It was exciting. I still remember that day. Yeah. A big yeah, day in my life. I don't think that the fact that we hit an asteroid for the first know, time groovy, yesterday. But I want man walking you know? on another surface. Okay. I want to know that we can second source so human go beings. From moon to Mars, huh? Well, it's going to be the moon first. Yeah, and then that'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. I'd be happy about that. Yeah. yeah. And then Mars. But, you know, once we, once we get to Mars, in terms of ethically, we're probably going to get into some serious human engineering. You I, I don't have a problem with that. No? Unless, okay. unless there's, again, some organism that we're, you know, we're preventing it from developing you, in its natural you way. You only weigh one-third your weight now, you know? And I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to want to... I've lost help. a little bit lately, but it still sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Well, think how high you can jump. Yeah. Ah, you can get <laughs> as high as you like on Mars. <laughs> yeah, right. Jumping. <laughs> Venus is largely unexplored. It's got an unknown land several times that of the size of the Earth. And it's possible that we may be able to figure out how to reverse the runaway greenhouse effect that caused it to lose its uh, oceans. Well, we back to the oceans. not assume that we know hey, that when Venus. we get there. Because sometimes our know-it-all scientists don't really know. No, but we, they presume they do. And then they no. don't learn until they get the negative well, feedback we, that yeah, they we were get the totally feedback. wrong. That's how we work. We, we try something and get the feedback yeah. constantly, yeah. all the time. Right? Yeah, so some humility. Should we say hello real quick to Shella from Monterey? Hello. Hey, you're on. We got hey, you. We hear you. <laughs> All right. Okay. I had a just a comment about the Admiral Bird thing yes. that you mentioned uh-huh. earlier. Yes. If you look into it, there's a whole lot of information 
about that being in his diary. Right. Supposedly, he and another gentleman flew or were directed to fly into this opening in Antarctica, and where they came to was a tropical paradise. And this is pretty much backed up in his diary. And the other part of this story is they supposedly, it sounds so fantastic, but mm-hmm. they met some humanoid-type people who were probably quite an upgrade. And <laughs> they told... Not hard. <laughs> and they communicated that they were really concerned about the use of nuclear war. Uh, yes, I heard that. Yeah, I thought it's... Not this that. Is, yeah, this is the plot of La Brea. I saw we have to go to a break, you guys. What are we going to do? Yeah, well, hold on a sec. We'll, we'll uh, yeah, you keep, keep her on the line. We'll finish the story. Yeah, Shella, can you hang on for a couple minutes? We'll be right back. Oh, no, I just wanted to say you should look into it. Oh, okay. And he was told not to say anything about it. And right after that, he was the youngest admiral ever which could have been a reward for... Keeping quiet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and that All was right. the time for that information Good to get stuff. out there. Thank you yeah. for that. Okay, thank well, more to contemplate after yeah. the break. Just to show you well, what happened, Stella. Thank, 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 thank you. Yeah, thank you. By the way, the, the latest ish episode of... Uh, thank you. Ancient Aliens has a, a whole episode on this. Okay, let's get a little closer to home. There's some new information. You mean uh, than Venus? Than Venus. Yeah. <laughs> a little closer in, yeah. yeah. What's a few million miles? The difference between Venus and Earth? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it looks like there's a change happening in the Earth's outer core. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, and necessarily bad. Oh, good. Okay, but most of our knowledge about what sits at the center of our planet comes from a study of seismic waves that roll out from earthquakes. Oh, no. And oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Earthquakes <laughs> tell us a lot about what's going on. And, and careful analysis of these waves can reveal things like the composition of the rocks and the metal that are below the Earth's surface. Is the oh, big yeah? one coming? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, keep hoping that we'll figure that out. We're still not really great at figuring out the exact timing of it. But a new study of seismic waves looks at two different earthquakes that actually happened in similar locations. But separated by a gap of 20 years. And they reveal that the changes that are happening in the Earth's outer core. What are they? And, that, and that's the uh, swirling layer of liquid iron and nickel that's between the mantle, that's the rock underneath the surface, and the inner core, which is the deepest layer. The outer core and the iron contained in it directly influence our planet's magnetic field. So that's, that's one of the reasons why it's important, which provides protection from space and solar radiation and such. So if that changes... Can that change? If that changes, um, we could be in trouble. You know, if we lose. Does our, it change? Our, well, it looks like it could. It could. It, it certainly happened on Mars. The Mars magnetic field. Uh, and look at Mars. Away. Yeah, and it died. Yeah. And it right. died. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of radiation on the surface. So, the magnetic field is very important. That's why it's kind of important for us to understand how the outer core changes over time, because it, you know, it affects everything. And the data recorded from the seismic wave monitors across both earthquakes showed that the waves from the later event traveled about a second faster when passing through the same region. How about the that? Event. Like everything else, it's speeding up. Yeah. 
something changed Even along earthquake the path. waves are speeding up. Nobody can concentrate on anything anymore. Everything's got to be quick. Well, in this case, the material that was there 20 years ago is no longer there. It's a new material and it's lighter. And these lighter elements move upward and change the density in the region where they're located. So it creates a, a light zone. In so the, things move faster the, through it. In the outer core. Now, is it hot down there? Is that where yeah, we can really dig there's down some, there and use that as energy? We could, yeah. But Let's it's very hot. we got plenty more. of heat. Yeah. Heat is not our problem. Releasing heat is not well, our problem. The problem, yeah. the, <laughs> the problem is going that deep. Yeah, you know, drilling down 100 miles is not trivial. No, it's easier to just collect sunlight. Let's, yeah. let's stick with that. Yeah, a lot easier. A, a lot easier. We're not sure exactly what it means, you know, that we have this light spot in the outer core, but it's interesting. If you look at the geomagnetic pole, it is moving. You know, the North Pole moves about 50 kilometers a year. Kilometers? Kilometers, yeah. I don't move 50 kilometers a year. <laughs> <laughs> so the North Pole is faster than you. It's Good moving thing away. you're not in a race with the North Pole. <laughs> I'd lose every time. It's moving away from where it is in Canada now towards Siberia. Oh, we cannot let the Russians have the North Pole. We have to do something about this immediately. <laughs> yes. well, Good luck with know, that. If they, if they keep it their pattern, they did just give Snowden his citizenship. Maybe they'll give the North Pole some citizenship. That's what I'm afraid of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's changing, and it's, it's changed considerably since 1997. That's the first time, it, and then the recent that, one. That is interesting. What, yeah. What's uh, going on? Well, we have 152 seismographic stations around the world. They're monitoring seismic waves in real time all the time. And we can't control the location or timing of the quakes, but we can sure as hell start collecting more data about them. Well, we're good at collecting data. Yeah. We're able to see the patterns more and more so. And in the future, we'll be able to set up seismic stations and maybe be even predict the flow of where it's going to be. And that's when big earthquake might be predictable. Sure. We'll put them up there with the meteorologists, right? And let's right. predict the weather and the earthquakes. At the same they're time. they're so reliable. They're doing the best they can. I know. Well, that's <laughs> we'll the We'll get better. We'll get better. Certainty is overrated. Oh, yeah. Complication is... Life is actually risk. ...actually what's real. Come on. You never know. You never you know. Never know. Well, there's only so many factors that you can account for in a predictive model. And in most things, there's way more, way more things... At play, yes. then you can count. Why, why should you expect to know, ever? Is that the human condition? No. Well, you can only know very narrow things. And knowing you don't know, I think, is the set point to be comfortable with. Yeah. It's where our human gifts can really be felt. Not being afraid to we're be... We're uncertain, so we can imagine. Not being afraid to be wrong, especially when you're a know-it-all. Comfort with uncertainty. It's tough for us know-it-alls, but there we go. <laughs> it's it makes us better. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. That brings up another story. Remember uh, we had some email from one of our listeners, uh, Salel? Mm -hmm. Salel, and you're reading it on the way down here. Yeah. About how yeah, she's Salel, concerned about... Let me just first say yeah. thank you directly in case you are listening. We did get your message last night. Thanks for telling us about the email, which we did check out. And that's why we're bringing it up right and now. And she's a listener that's very wor worried about the, the poles melting. <laughs> the, po oh, the poles. We yeah, don't want the, the poles to melt. The yeah, ice. No, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not good for the planet. She right. That's our she, planetary air conditioner. And so she thought we should have a, a contest to see if we could figure out the best way to stop the poles from melting to maintain 
Ten million dollar prize. Yeah, yeah, right. There you go. Are you volunteering? <laughs> to enter the contest? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'll come up with an idea. Let I me, promise. Oh yeah, let me let me seed it a little bit. There was a very interesting article on in interesting engineering. I might add, about scientists who want to spray sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere to refreeze the pools. Yeah, check with Dane Whittington on Saturday morning and see what he thinks about that. A fleet of 125 tankers could return the subpolar regions to pre-industrial temperatures, according to this piece. Hmm. What do you We're think? crazy, aren't we? What I love us. What could possibly yeah. go wrong? Yeah. yeah. High-flying jets like KC-135s spraying microscopic aerosol particles into the atmosphere to refreeze the North and South Poles. So this is a chemical compound of sulfur and oxygen. Yeah. Already it sounds terrible. <laughs> they might not win this contest. Well, it's one way to get rid of the stuff we don't want. Yeah. But only 130... It's you know. a toxic gas, uh -huh. but it smells like burnt matches. So if you're a fan of that smell, I kind of like I that smell. Like that smell. It's not but so only 125 bad. planes, it's, right? It's the smell of sulfur. It's released naturally by volcanic activity. Yeah, yeah. It's also produced as a byproduct when the earth belches. of copper extraction and the burning of sulfur-bearing fossil fuels. By the way, this is part of an intervention technology called stratospheric aerosol injection, mm. or SAI. Dane, Dane. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole 479-1080. Mm. He's always looking at, we're, yeah. this is the end time, to, yeah. uh, and not so much the solutions. Sulfur dioxide yeah. is found on Earth and exists in very small concentrations and in the atmosphere about one part per million. So well, we're about to change that. To put in, yeah, right. To keep it cold <laughs> up there. So oh, the researchers. Hey, we've got Soleil on the line. Okay. Well, the research. Let me finish this. Yeah. Then we bring her on. Okay. Now, researchers argue that the hand-me-down reused military air-to-air -air refueling tankers, like the KC-135s, they're a little small, but um, you get enough of them, then they could be good for this mission. Imagine the yeah. fossil fuel you'll burn trying to do this. Trying to save the world. <laughs> well. As long as they did it like a flying tiger show yeah. and they made some cool trails and maybe turned them into like flying crop circles, I might go for it once. We can put it on Disney Plus. Yeah. And they say the operation. got some good visual video out of it. Yeah. Um, Content. Well, they say in terms of pollution, the atmosphere would be equivalent to about two days of global commercial air traffic. Okay. <laughs> By the way. We could, yeah. we could ground all the airplanes for two days and just send up a fleet to the North Pole uh, and do it, it as be a the same. Yeah, well, I'm willing holiday. to do that. Zero, zero, yeah. There all right, you Soleil, what you, you got to say entry. about all this? Yeah. Hey, hey beautiful people. Hey. Hi. <laughs> it's Soleil. Yeah, right. Soleil. Yeah, welcome yes. to the Soleil. show. It's Hi, the Soleil. sun. Soleil. It's the sun. Yeah. Like yeah. sun, you know, French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I know, that's why I always try and put the L on it, but, you know, Soleil. it's supposed to be no, no, silent. Do that. In fact, <laughs> okay. I changed the spelling so that it wouldn't confuse people, but it did uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> right. I okay. love you all so much. Thank oh. you for getting us to this point where we can actually talk about what might be needed. We don't want to hurt ourselves with more dangerous things. Let's do something to cool the poles that's not dangerous. Oh, um, but, what's that, a giant refrigerator? Yeah, well, if we have to spray stuff, that's our fallback. But yeah. let's look at maybe just, here, what if we have a space tug. Why don't we tug the space station over on top of the pole? 
like a, a whole bunch of miles up there so that it shaves it like a parasol. Or an <laughs> well, it's not big enough. Yeah. It's I mean, really not small. Enough shade. Yeah, I mean, that's that. small. I mean, it's not much bigger than a couple airplanes, well, you know? I mean, but your idea, idea of shade, shade, shade is actually yeah. probably yeah, the, the reason why the, 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 secret, yeah. uh, the secret people who are putting stuff in the air, they're trying to create shade. Right, that's I know, what, but then it comes down, and we have to breathe it. That's and right. It, and uh, according to Dane, what's happening is all the little animals and plants can't function because they get the little particles. And I've seen them, and I've noticed the few species that we have left. And the birds that used to be just everywhere, they're just having trouble finding food because the insects get clogged. My dear, we are down yes. to the last 20 seconds of the first hour. Oh, okay. We just got to say KSCO Santa Cruz, and then everybody say goodbye. Okay. Till later. Till later. Okay. Goodbye, son. Thanks. Shine. For being here, Billy and yeah, Soleil. Thanks, Soleil, for being here. And yeah. Bobby. So yes. add to the space station. Make a shade. Okay, there, make the right? space station shade. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. That's entry yeah. number two in this contest <laughs> to save the polls. <laughs> save the polls. We can right. do it. Time now for more of Doctor and Mrs. Future. And now, your host, Doctor Future. Okay, welcome back to the show. For this next uh, segment, I'd like to concentrate on some of the smallest critters on our planet that may make a difference. Some critters? Critters. Uh, yes. 20 quadrillion ants. 20, 20, 20 quadrillion. Quadrillion. 20 quadrillion. That's how many ants there are in the world. And they weigh more than all the wild mammals and birds combined. That sounds like some pretty heavy-duty ants. Yeah. 20 quadrillion ants on the planet, according to a new estimate. <laughs> I heard Trevor Noah do a funny, a funny bit about yeah. this where he was yeah. talking about that's just too many ants. He said if he was at a picnic, he could take on about 20 ants, but 20 million per person, that's too many. He's leaving the picnic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would too. <laughs> that's an educated guess, I might add. There's an uh, aggregate of... 489 studies about ant population densities in various parts of the world. And I thought I'd share a little bit of that with you. They extrapolated to the size of the globe, and that's how they got 20 quadrillion. Now, the significance of this, well, the ants are in abundance mostly in tropical and subtropical regions, but the numbers vary substantially from habitat to habitat. Mm. We love their engineering skills, but do we know anything about their role in the ecosystem? What role do they actually play? We have about 15,700 known species of ants, which have been found in roles like dispersing seeds. They somehow increase nutrient availability in the soil, as well as their food for lots of the ecosystems. Many critters eat ants. Mm. I guess like anteaters. Some of my yeah. naturalist friends think of ants as farmers. They're nature's little tiny farmers the way that they collect resources and move things around. And they actually put little aphids out as the food supply. They grow their own aphids and harvest them. <laughs> they do all yeah, kinds of things. Yeah, they have a whole little civilizations going on down there. Mm -hmm. That's true, that's true. Mm -hmm. About three quadrillion of the 20 are ground dwelling. I guess there are quite a few underground dwelling and quite a few in the trees as well. Mm. The total biomass is estimated to be 12 megatons that's higher than the combined mass, as I mentioned earlier, of all the birds and mammals in the wild, uh, which is about 9 megatons. So the answer 12, wild animals and birds, 9 megatons. But let's look at humans for a minute. How much do you think all the humans weigh? 
Well, before or after the diet? <laughs> Both. It's estimated to be about 60 megatons. 60 right. megatons. And that probably goes up and down like it's every, about five every times, year. Five times higher than ants in terms of the Five total. times higher yeah. than ants. Yes. They also found that forest areas had the highest density of ants, while ground foraging ants were the highest in number in arid regions. They didn't include an understanding of the underground or the ones in trees. They're harder to keep track of. And there's less population information about ants in Africa and North Asia. So this is really an aggregate of lots of different studies. Yeah, trying ants. to look at population densities and hmm. types and that sort of thing. Right. They feel like it's important because it'll help us understand the ecological importance of ants. And we have a lot of knowledge that is lacking regarding insects generally. Mm-hmm. The little things that run around everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. the ubiquitous things like the ants. There hasn't been any real reliable estimate of their total number on Earth and their habitats. So this is a big study, 489, look at what the global ant abundance is. And it's fascinating. As I said, mostly concentrated in tropical and subtropical regions. Leaf litter ants are particularly high in forests and ground foraging. Is, Those are the ones you've seen pictures yeah. of them carrying leaves that are 10 times bigger than their little ant right. bodies. Right. Yeah, leaf cutters. Yeah, they're farmers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah farmers, the farmer ants. <laughs> so fascinating story. Two insect stories. That was one. The other one is naturally humans and insects have a relationship that sometimes gets somewhat cyber. Mm-hmm. And in this case, there's the Japanese cyborg cockroach. Oh. <laughs> yes. Is, is this, did Gabby bring this one up? Yes, she did. Gabby did bring this up. And it's about a Japanese team that have created a backpack for cockroaches. It's so cool. <laughs> and they justify it by saying that if an earthquake strikes and survivors are trapped under tons of rubble, that the first responders could be swarms of cyborg cockroaches. That sound may sound a little far-fetched, but they actually have a video at their website and our links page that shows you how this could actually work. There's a little backpack of solar cells and electronics on the bugs that controls their motion by remote control. These things look so awkward. These, well, these, these little are prototypes. Bug these are prototype backpacks. For they them. do. They look yeah. like they were put together by somebody whose fingers are too big for the circuits. And well, the poor little beetles. They're, cockroaches. They're cockroaches. They're, they're about as big as, say, my thumb, it seems like, right? They're pretty big bugs. They're big ones, yeah. They, they've got some of the biggest cockroaches yeah. around. And then a, they're, a Madagascar hissing cockroach, to be precise. Well, I would hiss, huh. too, if you were trying to strap a giant backpack <laughs> on me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fascinating article, and it's yeah. very interesting what they're doing. Yeah. Kunjiro Fukuda and his team at the Thin Film Device Lab at the Japanese research giant Riken developed a flexible solar cell film that's only four microns thick. It's about a 125th of the width of a human hair, and they can fit it on the insect's abdomen. And this allows the roach to move freely while the solar cell generates enough power to process and send direction signals into the sensory organs on the bug's hindquarters. Uh, and it builds on insect control experiments that's been done at the Yang Young Technical University in Singapore. And they hope that one day they'll be able to have insects that can enter hazard zones more efficiently than robots. Well, my favorite thing about this article is that these little bugs 
have been wired so that if you steer them from the right, they turn in circles. They, only turn, they turn left really well. They, they have a left. hard time getting the right command done. So there aren't three lefts make a right? Yeah. So you could left, 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 you can make them turn right that way, I guess. Yeah, that's the other yeah. alternative. But when you, tell, you tell them to turn right, they go around in circles. Some real problems there. Anyway, we'll be back. What's a, what's a, what's a cucaracha? It's a cockroach! There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Gabby, for that. Very fun. Yes, so the cockroach is uh, its a beginning of humanity beginning to play with insects in a way where they do our bidding. Is that something that should be done? Is that is that a, a, um, a moral thing for us to do, is to control the behavior of cockroaches? Well, it's a little creepy. <laughs> Well, <laughs> what if it saves lives in rubble? They can go into rubble and earthquakes and I'll find tell you, people. if I was an earthquake victim lying under rubble and yeah. one of these little backpack cockroaches came to discover me, I would be out of my mind. That would not be a very serene experience. See, of course, feel, the whole thing is already stressful. So yeah, you feel an itch on relatively, your relatively. I don't know. Maybe I it don't wouldn't know. feel. I mean, if you I feel knew. an itch on your butt and you whack it and you accidentally <laughs> killed your rescuer. That, that would be, be good. No, that would be bad. Really bad. <laughs> it's going to continue to evolve. And, and basically, insect brains are like simple computers in many respects, <laughs> and they tend to play well with cybernetics. So we're probably going to see more and more experiments done with simple brains like that before humans because the ethics are not as stringent as they are with people. Mm. You know, we're more likely to see some progress in this arena. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> anyway, there are definitely humans who are fascinated with creating backpacks for bugs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. Ready yeah. to say hello to a caller? Sure, yeah, let's talk to our caller. All right, we got Mark from Moss Landing. Hi, there, Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. What up? Hi, Doctor. When I was raised up, we were talking about sending them into space and building the domes, eco-domes and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I have an insect. Yeah, you know, like maybe have a ant manage a silkworm or something and go around building stuff, you know. <laughs> That's cool. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's... Uh, What's humanity without cockroaches? <laughs> yeah, they could do it quite well. They got nice little clamps and everything. They said, okay, they, "Thank you, guys." They said yeah. they would survive a nuclear blast. Oh, by the way, were you there? Oh, in, yeah. Were you there in um, when the giant battery uh, burned last week in Osland? Yeah, I was. I was over here. Yeah, but I stayed kind of away from that area at yeah. that time. Yeah. Is there been any word about what actually happened? Or just a meltdown? You know, you scratch one of them things with your fingernail, and it, it'll go up. You know what I mean? So that's pacing. what happened? Somebody just well, I don't know, but if you do, you breathe on them and they, they go up, you know. Oh. Just a matter of time. 
It's a matter of time before somebody runs a car, a Tesla through a car wash, and somebody mixes a chemical, and then next thing you know, you got this reaction. So, I'd FYI on them. Yeah, <laughs> on we need some little yeah. batteries. <laughs> yeah, we need some better battery tech. Yeah. All right. All right well, thanks for the update, yeah. guys. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Have a good day. Bye. You too. So, what'd you say, Bobby? You know, there's definitely a revolution in battery chemistry. They're just adding magnesium and iron to the lithium iron batteries and then they don't burn they don't explode anymore yes lithium iron phosphate supposed to be more yeah stable it's just heavier it's it's a heavier battery and that's well they got one that's lighter now when you add magnesium it actually lightens it and it's 35 percent more power concentration lighter than what lead no the regular lithium lithium batteries which were much lighter than lead batteries yeah so they're talking about putting them on airplanes and drones and because they're lighter weight and more power than the Somehow regular Somehow they don't iron. burn. And they don't burn. They do these tests where they have crash tests, car crash tests, but they also take rifles and they shoot bullets in them. And the lithium iron will just catch on fire and explode. But the, these LFP batteries, they nothing happens. LFP? Well, I thought that the yeah. problem was that yeah. when you're using these batteries, the lithium creates these little metal trails as it gets used, and then ultimately that connects the two nodes and it creates a yeah. spark. That yeah, and that takes, th- that takes some time. It's the, um, they're called dendrite connections, but between the cathode and the anode. That's what shorts and, them out, the dendrite yeah. connections. Yeah. yeah, so it's just like shorting out the battery, and they'll, they, they'll yeah. heat up and catch on fire. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently there's an MIT spinoff called Form Energy. It has a battery prototype that can feed the grid up to four days before being fully discharged. And it costs about $20 per kilowatt hour. So yeah. what's its job? Well, well That's a, pretty cheap. Battery yeah. prototype for basically what the giant battery in Moss Landing was supposed to do. Right. Provide a backup power for the grid. But there's new transportable battery innervations with aluminum and sulfur batteries. That's a hot area development in sodium and sulfur solid-state batteries. Solid-state batteries look very promising as well. Then you were sending me that, that new type of battery from New York, upstate New York. Yeah, that. C4V. That's the company, but it's... Oh, uh, I was going to say, you don't want a battery called C4, for sure. <laughs> oh, that's a bad a, battery name, it, man. It used to be explosive, but now it's just energy. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a capacitor. It lets it all off at once. <laughs> well, well yeah. I, I think technically mm-hmm. the battery company has three, no, four Cs in its name. No, I forget the... Whatever. I mean, oh, that's so what they call like it. C, C to the four. fourth. Yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> okay. And then V for whatever. Yeah, after that. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's see. There's another one that came to mind. There's a company called StoreDot. StoreDot. And it's uh, shipping its 100 miles of range and five-minute charge already to EV makers. Oh, yeah. Store Talk dot. about that one. That one sounds pretty interesting. It, it's not quite as advanced as these others, but it's already in circulation apparently it would uh, produce battery cells that will achieve 100 miles of range with a five minute charge it's an israeli based company they're calling it the 105 105 uh, ev cell mm-hmm. and they're giving samples to various ev oem partners around the planet their uh, strategic investors include mercedes-benz bp samsung tdk okay. store dot 10 years old now they've raised 269 million, and their evaluation is 1.3 billion, and they're completed a Series D round of funding, 
earlier this year. But are they shipping batteries? They're putting out samples right now to various companies to see if they want to buy them. The 30-amp silicon dominant anode lithium-ion pouch cells, and they're shipped in EV form factors. And they say that their uh, cell samples that they're sending out will do the 100 miles in five minutes consistently without compromising the battery's health. So that's hmm. part of the problem is the faster you charge lithium-ion batteries, the more likely you'll have dendrites. Mm. And, uh, yeah. and the less cycles you'll have in the battery life. So StoreDot is currently working on mass production readiness with its manufacturing partner EVE Energy in China. And they plan to ramp up to mass production by 2024. Okay. That, that's another StoreDot, like an S-T-O-R-E. Here come the batteries. D-O-T. Yeah. yeah. The one in New York, they took over the factory that started uh, IBM in upstate New York. And... They have a 2 million mile battery. It can do 10,000 recharge cycles, which is like five times the existing lithium batteries now. And it's degradation. Even if you do these fast charges, after several years of fast charges, I think after three years of fast charges, it only degrades the battery by 2%. Unbelievable. That's only a Which so is bad. unbelievable. Yeah, they stay and, healthy for long time and it's 35 percent less to make this battery they don't use cobalt they don't use nickel which are very rare metals well, in the normal nickel. lithium cobalt uh, yeah i got your article well, it's, it's uh, it, magnus energy yeah. magnus energy M-A-G-I-S. yeah that's the parent company and the company that's making the batteries and they're in production right now they have a gigafactory in production wow and it's called im3ny new york yeah i am three new york yeah I am three New York. That's the one to watch because I think this is going to be in all the electric cars. I think Ford is interested. Mercedes is interested in this battery. Also Tesla. This is going to revolutionize the world. And it's going to be produced here in the United States. It's getting a lot of funding from the federal government well, yeah, for yeah. this battery. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, in yeah. a million-mile battery, I guess. Yeah, it's a two-million-mile battery. Two-million-mile battery. Oh, my God. Yeah. I guess... You just need a two million mile motor, and you'll be all set. Well, it sounds like I mean, it, a bunch the of battery will outlast the, the car. The battery will outlast the car. Take your battery with you, all right? Yeah. How long does it take to charge? <laughs> it's very fast. This charges faster than regular lithium ion, and it doesn't heat up when you charge it. That's the big thing. Yeah. It doesn't really heat important. up. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, good. I can't wait. I think that when the, when we solve this, and especially if you think of airplanes. Electric airplanes, the EV tall market that is yeah. uh, rapidly evolving, it makes all this stuff much more feasible. Because right now the EV talls can only do 150 miles. That's true. Range anxiety. Right. Yeah, they're a they, formula be for that. Fantastic. Right. You know, the, right. the future well, is now. Here it comes. Magnus Energy. Thanks so much. Plug for in. That report, Bobby. Appreciate it. All right, the IM three and Y batteries um, change everything. We'll see you right after the break. This is the Dr. Miss Future Show with Bobby Wilder. Okay, welcome back to the show. I got one more battery story uh, to delve into a little bit. It's an interesting piece in Wired 
about how electric vehicles could rescue the U.S. power grid. All right. Well, it sounds like it's going to need some rescuing. Man. Remember what <laughs> happened in Texas last year? Or California with the tremendous strain on the power grid uh-huh. that happened during the heat wave. Uh, that killed month. the Moss Landing battery, right? Uh, earlier this month. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they say that you got to consider cars aren't just modes of transportation, but they're part of a larger energy infrastructure. And they say that most people who own EVs like Teslas are sitting in their garage fully charged. Most of the time, is people come home, they plug them in, and they're charged. And then the cars sit around 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. And the batteries in cars have enough power to, like, power a house. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of yeah, energy Yeah, we know there. people who power yeah, their house from days. their electric yeah, car. Yeah, right, three days you power your house. Yeah. So if you lose power in your big battery, you keep your lights on. So when there's a spike in demand for the grid, like when the AC is on for, you know, during these heat waves, or the opposite, the deep freeze, the utilities could pay you, the homeowner, for your excess battery power. So they could drain your batteries and feed the grid and give you money for that. That's called uh, a bi-directional or vehicle-to-grid charging, V2G, that's what they mm-hmm. call it in short. Mm-hmm. And it's considered by many as a game changer. What yeah. it is, it's, it's a virtual power plant. If you aggregate all these car batteries and you put them in a grid together yes. and they're feeding each other, it's a giant battery bank, which is its own utility, power utility. And so that's how Elon Musk could create his own power utility company. Well, you know, we had Nationwide. a client a few yeah. years ago yeah. that was marketing a new concept for a hybrid grid that was distributed to every individual's household. And the idea here was that the household roof is used to collect solar power. The solar power feeds to the battery of the household. The extra power goes to a public utility grid and is distributed, but it then is stored in a battery where the person who provided it is given a return for the battery that is storing yeah, right. it's their the, power. I guess you call it the distributed power grid or the, it's a kind of a power cloud. Yeah, power cloud. Power but you cloud, own yeah. your power. If it came through your solar panel, you get to take credit for yeah. it. Yeah, one of the questions is, do we have enough power in the grid to charge all the cars? You know, if well, everyone has... got to have enough solar panels to get it from the sun. We got enough power from the sun. Yeah. All right. Hey, we got a caller, Mrs. Future? We got a few. Let's say hi okay. to Gordy. Gordy. Hey, Gordy. Long time. How are you doing? Hey, Gordy. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm up here at the lookout on Highway 9, you know, just before the summit. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, you know about the event here that we just had where we bumped an asteroid. Yeah, 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 with a dart project. Sure. That was pretty exciting. Yeah. What's confusing to me is the initial videos that they had, those were the actual video views of the incoming projectile to bump the asteroid. That's right, yeah. Like the, the Then they blank the screen out. I just want people know that that was actual video. It wasn't some black and white CGI thing. Yeah, that's, that's real. Thing, that's right. Yeah, that was real. So I'm suggesting that, like most things of a national nature, the amateurs are way ahead of the crowd on getting the photographs, videos, and so forth. So I'm also suggesting that you get a hold of a copy of Sky and Telescope magazine. Mm -hmm. Probably the January issue will be the one where they'll show the amateur telescopes that can give you a clear eye on what really happened. 
what I really don't understand is why the screen was blanked out and went red. And at the top of the screen, coming over television, you could still see the video there. But for some reason, they put a big red patch across thing like, you're not supposed to see this. So, oh, well, um, you know that it crashed, right? So that was the oh, end yeah. of the transmission. At least for that feed. Yes, yes. Yes, but we have some mighty big telescopes, you know, that were also filming that. Yes. It's not that far away. So, anyway, that's my suggestion that you all get a hold of Sky and Telescope. And, again, it'll probably be the They're January issue. No, yeah, you, right. cool. you've been tracking this too, right? Thanks. You've been you've been paying attention to this. Do you know about the Italian CubeSat that's supposed to be videotaping the event live? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was a uh, piggybacking it, on the main ship until fairly close to the impact. Yeah. I never saw any footage from that of you. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I usually use alternative means for getting my information because yeah. our media, well, they're all not working for us. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's a good word, compromise. I don't want to be too negative and start a conspiracy theories here, but the fact is that we do not get accurate information over um, the, mainstream the, the mainstream media. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, true. similarly with. Well, you know, like with the UFO studies and projects and so forth, yes. everything is sealed, classified, and so forth. So, anyway, well, but yeah. Why, my, why would they do that to this, though? This seems like it would be much more of a, a direct, transparent kind of NASA mission. Well, because they're in the habit of doing this. Just, <laughs> oh, just for habit, huh? Yeah, no, it's really yeah. just, to, just it's, a it's well, the decline of our open, honest culture during the industrial military complex rise to power. The more they classify and make everything secret, the less transparent our world is. Yeah, which little black box are you going to open up? You go crazy trying to yeah. pry open information on so many things that are kept from spewing that uh, you don't know where to go. Now, I think that's part of the psychological strategy is too much to do there, so we're not going to yeah. waste our time and energy opening up these black boxes or these bags. Who knows what's in them? Sure. It, it's exhausting. It's, it's like the magician's trick of misdirection. It's like, look over here, but not over here where my hand is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I just wanted to get that message out to people. Right. If you really want to find out what's going on, I suggest that you look at Sky Telescope. And there will also be connections there if you're online where you can go to different websites or pods that have that information. But you're not going to get it through Google. You're not going to get it through your newspapers and so forth. Right. So thank you again for yep. being there. Really appreciate yeah. it. All and right. You too, yeah. Gordy. It's always great to hear you from have, you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you thank have you, a great Gordy. day and a yeah. better tomorrow. All right. Yes. yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye thank you. I wonder if the Hawaii-based asteroid terrestrial impact last alert system or Atlas telescope has its own website. You know, we should check that. Oh, they yeah. Apparently the ones that right, saw well, the we'll explosion. We'll spend a little bit more time after Also the Lacumbras Observatory in, in South Africa, they have their own website too. Should we say hi to Sean in Australia? Yeah, I'll say hi Sean, to Sean. Hey, 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 long time. Hey, it's been hey, a couple Sean. of weeks. How Where are you doing? Hey. Yeah, yeah good day, Mr. and Mrs. Future, and good day, Bobby. Good day. Good day, day to you. Good day. It's always great to hear from you. How you doing? Loving your program. Always let my uh, frontal uh, hemisphere work a bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm glad we're keeping it interesting for you. Yeah. <laughs> 
looking at the evolution of our species, and it's seemingly we're nearly on the brink of a, uh, you know, a major problem where we might exterminate um, ourselves with this conflict we're having and, you know, the other serious problems with our species. Mm. Obviously, I think we're the only species that I know of that seemingly has got the intelligence to maybe even change our evolution and maybe change our problems with maybe even creating an extinction event on our planet. When we die, if we had a, um, a coffin and it was sealed yeah. and we were in, you know, we had somebody in there and we opened it up, say, after about five or, you know, about six months, Mm-hmm. We'd see our bodies being decomposed and it'd be being de- decomposed by moulds, funguses and bacterias. Yeah. Yeah. Now, people would question where they're coming from and they're in us now. Uh, we seemingly have more funguses, moulds and bacterias and, uh, you know, cells in our body. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if you remember that um, great study a long time ago where in Tokyo, in, where they, uh, the scientists in Japan did that study on mould and they did a map of Tokyo and the mould actually did a, a map of the railway system right through Tokyo. So we've got a high intelligence within that system and I'm thinking... Has there been any studies that you know of or any understandings that maybe our species can change our evolution because maybe the organisms that are in our system that seem to be dominating even our cells Mm -hmm. maybe needing to be changed so we can evolve from being dominated from more our limbic and our more primal instinctive behaviour that seemingly is dominating our conscious behaviour. Yeah, we need some highbrow microbes. <laughs> you know, move us up into a higher. We're going to have Dr. Bruce Lipton on next week, and he's an expert in that stuff, so we'll broach that topic with him. But I imagine, yeah. you know, when you want to get healthier, changing the microbial balance in your system seems to be very important. Mm. Yeah, in the microbiota in your microbiome, in your stomach, influences like how much serotonin, and also there's certain bacteria that regulates oxytocin, which is how when you're in love with somebody or having sex all that comes from the gut microbes in the stomach so they're so important but then there's a lot of environmental things that are screwing that up and so it's not it's so coincidental that you know so many people have digestive problems and their immune system is deprived because it's not there with normal microbes yes i Um, heard fecal transplants have been having great success yeah, it's amazing, you know, that uh, woman, Seema, she's a gastroenterologist uh-huh. in Florida, University of Florida. Mm-hmm. She's written a book. It's amazing. And, and she uh, talks about fecal transplants specifically and yeah, ability and, to uh, deal with different Yeah, and she's become an expert on this. It's all, there's going to be research on how even vaccines can affect your microbiome and how that can affect also the brain at the same time. So there is that connection too. Yeah. And I heard the microbes outnumber the human cells 10 to 1 in our body. Yeah, 10 to 1. And the number of genes, like gene expressions and what's happening. There's 10 times more of that, 10 times more genetic information in your gut from those microbes than all the gene information in your whole body. You know, it could be that human intelligence, since we're so concentrated and focused and narrow in our beam of what we can pay attention to, compared to the group mind of the ecosystem that is our microbes and our cells and all of the little individuals with their specific functions, maybe we are actually working for them, but we just don't know it. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, yeah. We're we're just a biome. We're just a, a carrier for these 
bacteria. And we just kind of like... Walking bags uh, of water and microbes. <laughs> and we have these sensors that can sense what they want. And actually, you know, people that consume the wrong kind of foods and eat too much of one thing, it's the bacteria in their stomach that's sending these signals. I want more of this sugar or I want more of this other yeah, they, synthetic yeah, sugar yeah. or something. Is they that know what you were thinking about, it's, Sean? It's, they know how to yank control. your chain, man. They can yeah, yank it, your chain. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's quite fascinating. We've come a long way in technology and look at the changes we've done on the planet just in the, since the Industrial Revolution. And it's quite fascinating consciously looking at through a modern Pavlovian perspective for a couple of decades now. I see most people being dominated by subconscious, more limbic perceptions, which is just really, um, you know, what could you say? Uh, uh, nurturing uh, brain, the, um, brain the reptilian stem part. Yeah, uh, more reptilian instinctive behaviours we're doing. And you right. can see that by yeah. the uh, problems with the conflict now. Um, look, we had the Crimean War many, many years ago, and we're, we're replaying it. So it seems to be that we, you know, and we've got the ability, because we're talking now about it, we seem to have the ability, our species, to actually look at this problem. And I'm just wondering if the people who are in the head of our world and the ones who are really the elitists, seeing to actually make it better for us in regards oh, to new generations. That's something we always got to wonder, huh? we got to go to a break, Shane. Do you want to... Oh, oh my, hold, hold on. Oh, my please. love. No, okay. You can hang okay. on. Right. If you, you're no, welcome okay. to if you Thank like. You. So. Thanks very much. All right. right. We'll yeah. be right back. I'll carry you over. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Richard. That's a great shot. Uh, Richard just sent me the picture from Atlas. That's the Asteroid Terrestrial Last Alert System in Hawaii. Uh, observations of the DART spacecraft impacting the Dimorphos, which is the moon of Didymus. Fantastic. You can see it hit. It creates this big cloud around the whole asteroid. A beautiful shot. I'll post it on our drfutureshow.com slash links page. Okay, so that, I want to mention that. And back to Bobby and Shane. We were yeah. talking on the on the air about about uh, microorganisms in the body and uh, how important they are in our health and well-being. And I thought it was an interesting point that you also said, Shane, about how the organisms inside us also are the ones that take our body apart once we die, that they're all just waiting there, those fungi and spores just ready to do their thing once we're no longer alive, all built into yeah. the system. And it's very interesting that the signals that we actually put into our mind trigger that reaction off, like when the body shuts down, then those organisms go into the decompo decompo decomposition. Uh, decomposition. Decomposition. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. You'll have Phase. to forgive yeah. my lisp. I had a lisp for a long time. But basically, I find it fascinating, you know, when working with um, getting people off drugs for many years, yeah. that when I do talk to them and I settle them with really good foods and the proper processes, as Bobby was saying, it, was, it is the gut that really um, generates that wellness and that, that better thinking. And basically, I think we've been wrong in regards to thinking the brain is the main dominant um, factor in regards to our, our motivating behaviours. And it is probably coming from organisms within our system. And, you know, I was thinking before when through the break, if we have got the ability, you know, you know, you know the Pavlovian process, if we have got the ability, we could probably maybe condition those organisms to be better uh, evolved to 
get our species away from being dominated by the self-destructive processes we seem to be dominated by through evolution right now. You know, I totally agree with that idea because I'm a big believer that we are the makers of our own destiny and that the special gift that humans have is that our creative process, our thoughts turn into actions and those actions turn into the created universe. And so if we start with our thoughts, then we can basically achieve anything and If we take responsibility for our thoughts and realize, oh, I'm having negative thoughts. I'm having thoughts that are harmful. I'm having thoughts that are going to create more death. Then that's what we harness the power of our creativity to do. But if we take responsibility and saying, I'm having positive thoughts. I'm appreciating that life is a wonderful thing. I'm contributing valuable, positive emotions to the world. Then that's the thing that we create more of. And it's all on our shoulders every moment. The choices we make, that's the outcome we get. Gosh darn it, I am somebody. (laughs) Yeah, Mrs. Future, you're dead spot on there. In Australia right now, because I look at social psychological progressions in this country and since the introduction of you know the gaming technology, I've been very um, been an advocate to for governments in in state and federal to look at the Douglas Gentile's great work in the early in you know 2012 when he was looking at the the technology in regards to young children with violent video games and now we've got huge amounts of males. I think the males in this country under 18 are playing up to 18 hours and I'd say probably around the clock sometimes down to two hours a day violent video games and now we've got a huge problem with youth crime exploding since the pandemic has changed it's been a real problem and i'm thinking well this technology you'd think well if we put the technology in the right focus which seems to be dominated by the subconscious because nobody in their right mind i think and you concur would give children at a developing age in their brain you know these things like grand theft auto and these other abhorrent behavioral conditioning of the subconscious and now you're seeing it played out with huge amounts of violence and different behaviours in crime or antisocial behaviour with new generations. I think we've got a major problem there too. Well, but, you may um, be right, technology- but Sean, let's, let's go from a slightly larger, expansive perspective because I was just listening to a podcast this morning from some people debating the future of AI and talking about our ability to program computers and at what point does progress get made when you've got people who are trying to create predictable behavior by setting up a program that has absolute certainty that if I do this, then I will get this result. But the intelligence that actually runs the world is intelligence that doesn't know the outcome and has to deal with uncertainty. And When you're talking about whether we've programmed a generation of young men to all become arch criminals because we've given them access to these games, the podcast made a reference to the fact that the Steve Jobs generation, all those guys were out there enjoying their youth by shooting rockets up in the air because that was something that they all like to do. And so they're they're bonding with each other around this particular expression of learning and All young men, for eons, for all generation, before people learn to take responsibility for the consequences of their behavior, they tend to be kind of lawless. 
And what we as a society need to do is understand that it's having a stake in the society that makes you mature and grow into somebody who is a caretaker. You don't start out knowing those things. You, you learn them. So rather than feeling like these people have been programmed and will never learn, it's more important to see it developmentally like young people are still learning. And what they learn ultimately is how they make choices. And if they learn to take responsibility for their choices, they make different decisions, even if they've grown up doing video games. You know, they, they didn't just do one video game. They did tons of them. Well, we did do, we can now in hindsight look at the uh, successful programs of the Torches of Freedom program when film was first introduced to the human beings. And you know, with the Torches of Freedom program, well into the, well, the 60s and the 70s, it was still acting out in generations where generations of females were conditioned to perceive that it was their right to smoke cigarettes as a form of freedom. And it was used by what I'd call the Darwinists or the people who believe in Darwinism, who were the, the corporations who were profiteering off that consciously. But I think they were still dominated by the subconscious problems we are having with our species. Mm -hmm. And now with the refined technologies of gaming, they're still doing the same process where they are conditioning. And you can obviously see in hindsight the, the horrific problems with the Torches of Freedom programs. Edward Bernays, you know, the Edward Bernays Torches of Freedom programs and the other programs for alcohol and the other drug problems within both our social systems, which have been really degrading to our true ability to be, have integrity within our cultural development. Well, and, I've uh, got to say, it comes down to we've got to have faith in our human evolution and we've got to have faith in each other and every generation is going to respond to its own stresses. And we are our own programmers. And we're out of time. Well, yeah, look, uh, hey, oh. thanks, guys. Love you, love you guys, and all my best. Great. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Shane. Good conversation. Sean and uh, Shane, one more thing. Go to the and look at the uh, Dr. Peter McCullough piece and yeah, look at read his book, his book, and John F. Kennedy's book, The Real Thanks, Fashion. Bobby. Yeah. yeah, so take a look at those books. Yes, those okay. are topics we didn't quite get to on this show, but perhaps next week. All right. Thanks, Bobby, for being part of the show. And oh, having your no, magic. thanks, thanks, Shane, for uh, thank you, Shane. coming All in. All my love. All, right. All the way from Australia. Yeah, I know. Thank you, Mrs. Future. Oh, and my pleasure. Next week we'll have uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton on the show. All right.